Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to talk about a way that God speaks to me, and I believe he really wants to speak to each and every one of you, and it is through your heart. Yes. Now, now notice the, the construction of the sentence, through your heart, not, not just to your heart, but through your heart. God will use your heart to speak to you. And so I want to look at Psalm 37 at a, at a popular piece of scripture. And I'm only going to, I'm, I'm actually, I only have two, two slides, two sermon slides today, uh, which means it's only an hour and a half message, only two slides. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I, it's, I'm just going to lock into a, to a piece of scripture that you've probably heard before. Um, and we're going to dissect it and um, hopefully learn from it today. And the Lord will speak to us in Psalm 37, uh, verse 4 says, trust in the Lord. Uh, let me see, I, my lighting's a little off here. Verse three says, trust in the Lord and do good. I, I, this is, I don't even have this on the slide, but I love this verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I love that. You can, a, a, a lot of, of how you're feeling depends on what you've been eating. You know what I'm saying? So, so, and I'm not just talking paleo versus, versus McDonald's. I, I, I mean, the way you're feeling spiritually and emotionally has a lot to do with what you are feeding on, what you are feeding your spirit, what you're eating. And, and, and the psalmist here, by, by the way, David wrote this when he was an older man. So he's looking back on his life and he's saying, these are some lessons I've learned. He says, you need to, if, if, if you want to stay where you're supposed to stay, if you want to dwell in the land, you have to learn to eat what you need to eat. Dwell in the land, eat his faithfulness, feed on his faithfulness. And when you, when you consume the, the memory of the faithfulness of God, when you consume the reality that God is not going to let you go, that he's with you, whatever may happen to you, that will give you some sticking power. A lot of the reason why you don't stay in the land you're supposed to is because you're not feeding on the faithfulness of God. You're feeding on the opinions of other people. You're feeding on the worry inside of your own heart. You're feeding your soul with all of these thoughts about what could happen. Really, the, 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 the yeah, but, and the what ifs are the the greatest, it's, it's the greatest junk food that you could possibly eat in your life. I mean, it's, it's worse than Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't live on yeah buts and what ifs. I mean, it tastes good sometimes because you feel smart. But when God speaks to you, one of the reasons why we don't hear from God is because we're on a constant diet of what ifs and yeah buts. And so, and so if you really want to stay in the land, you got to feed on his faithfulness. That's not even uh, in my notes. That's just for free. But he says in verse four, and this is what I want to look at. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is, this is, this is like on every Christian bumper sticker. Like you, you've probably seen t-shirts with this on it. Let's, let's just go back. I, I only have two verses, so it's going to take me about, I mean, like, I mean, seriously, 20 minutes. I mean, I'm talking, you know, for, for one verse. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, now in most Christian circles, what this means to us is, is if we 
are good Christians, then God will give us what we want. Um, and that's not at all what it's saying. That's so far from what it's saying. We have to look at the words. Delight yourself. Delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. The word delight, it, it, it means to find pleasure in, to find joy in, to find happiness. Look, look this is amazing to me. God's command to us is find joy. <laughs> like this, maybe it's just because I grew up in church, but I did not think this was one of God's primary commands. Harry, I want you to find joy. Because if you think about it, most of sin, most of the trouble we get ourselves in is our attempt to find joy outside of the Lord. Maybe, maybe God made us to seek joy. Maybe God made us to look for joy, to find joy. Actually, and I know I might get in trouble for this, but the, the Arabic equi uh, uh, equivalent to this word delight, it's a Hebrew word, but the Arabic uh, language used a similar word for the type of look um, that a man will, will, will give when he sees a woman walking. <laughs> I don't know how real we should preach, but... I'm just saying, when Ro and I, when Ro and I, <laughs> that's right, when Ro and I, when Ro and I were dating, uh, actually I think we might have been engaged, I, uh, I, I worked for Tommy Tenney and uh, he's, he's a hardcore boss and I was sitting in a meeting with Tommy and we were on a conference call with a couple other pastors around the country and we were walking through minute by minute what was going to happen next week because that was my job to know and to, and to plan everything out and so we're going okay at 5.15 on Saturday we're going to land here at 5.30 this guy's going to pick us up take us here this is how much the hotel costs I was in charge of all of that and we were going through all this stuff and then Roe walked into the room you know, and, and Tommy's like, slams his hand on the table. Harry, pay attention to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, sorry. But that's just like, and, and it's still, that, that's not just a dating thing. We've been married almost 12 years. And as Ro just said, when we go to the supermarket, she walks in front because I am busy shopping for important items that she needs to be out in front for. Anyway, I'm just saying, it, it helps. It helps. And that's why I said I might get in trouble. Because, 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 <laughs> I love the Bible. I love how the Bible is so real. But the problem is we've grown up in a, in a Christian culture that doesn't allow guys to be guys. Hey, hey, it's June. It's Father's Day month. I might just do a sermon series called You Can Be a Guy and Be a Christian at the Same Time. Jesus doesn't want to steal your testosterone. How about that? Can we, can we title that? Jesus, Jesus likes comp competition. Jesus likes romance when it's in the right place. Come on. When you got passion in the right place, it's a powerful, awesome, wonderful thing. And that, that's what he's talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord, meaning be so distracted by the beauty of Jesus when he walks in and out of your day that when you see, you're not hearing from God because you're not infatuated with him. And so to hear from God, you have to delight, you have to be, you have to be distracted. And, and, and we're, we're all, we're distracted by things that are valuable. You know what I'm saying? And beautiful. Like, like we'll be driving down the road and there'll be a Ferrari off to the side. And I'll be like, oh, kids, look, it's a Ferrari. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't do that about the Ford Focus, right? Like nobody turns their head at a shiny blue Ford Focus. But when a, when a Ferrari pulls up, I mean, everybody's looking because it's valuable. It's distracting. 
And that's what it says to be so distracted by the beauty of Jesus. Not be a good Christian, not, not try to learn all of the rules, not be a good person, but be distracted by the beauty of Jesus. This is what David had throughout all of his life. He didn't always make the right decisions, but he was always distracted by the glory of God. He couldn't get away from the fact that God was beautiful and amazing. In fact, he said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. When I've been without you for a while, I feel it. This is what he's talking about. If you want to hear from God, you have to be distracted by him. You have to delight. You find joy in him. You look at him the way a husband looks at his wife. That's the way it's supposed to be. And, and, and he says, delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Your heart. I, I have just a couple points for you today, and it's pretty simple. My first point is God likes your heart. Yes. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just the fact that I grew up in church, but that's a bit of a revelation for me. And it's not to say that you were born perfect. It's not to say that your heart doesn't need some shaping or some shifting, but he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your your heart, you, the, the heart that's beating inside of your chest, the, the, the internal thoughts, the internal desires, the internal passions that you've had since you were a little kid, it could just be that those didn't just arrive there by accident. It could be that God is wanting to give you the desires of your heart. And it's, and it's interesting how, how, how we're so conditioned to reject the fact that God could actually like my heart. We're so conditioned to reject the fact that God could actually like my heart. Like he actually formed my heart, created my heart, created my interior being, my, my interior being. And he, he, not only does he, does he know it, but he, but he actually like it. God likes my heart. And in fact, God speaks to me in my heart. When we, when we planted City Chapel, the only reason we planted in this location is because God spoke to me in my heart. I was driving around uh, Austin, driving around Buda, driving around, just driving around praying, driving through neighborhoods. And then as I drove through neighborhoods in Buda and in this area of Austin, like what, what Budaites call Austin, but Austinites call Buda, like this, this weird kind of area. And, and I, I felt in my heart a burden for the people who lived in these homes. I felt in my heart a burden for these neighborhoods. I felt it in my heart. And this is how God speaks to me a lot of times. He doesn't speak to me in an audible voice. It's very, I, I don't think there's, there's been one time in my life when God spoke to me in a voice that was almost audible. He doesn't usually, you know, talk like this and, and Harry, this is what I want you to do. This is not how he generally, 99.9% .9 of the communication that you get from God is going to come into your heart. He is going to speak to your heart. And it's my heart that has opened so many doors for me. It's my heart. I remember the very first sermon I ever preached. I was 12 years old and I was so nervous. I was standing up. We, our church met in a YMCA, like all 15 of us. And I'm standing here and I had, and I, I, I had my notes. My mom had helped me make some notes. And I had like, I don't know, 10 pages. And I was turning the pages and I accidentally, I was so nervous. I accidentally, accidentally turned more than one page. I turned like three pages at a time. And I looked down and nothing made sense. 
And, and oh, by the way, this, this, the scripture, my very first sermon ever was from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's my very first sermon. Because to me, it's not about what you can do or what you, or what you talk about. It's not about your mouth. It's about your heart. I value people who have strong hearts. I'm not that impressed with people who have a lot of accomplishments or they talk a big game. I want to know what's going on in your heart. And even at 12 years old, I, I was searching through all the Bible and I found Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. And, 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 and then I lost my place and I got real awkward and I never looked up and I never let go of the podium. The whole time I was holding this thing, like it's, it's keeping me up. You know what I'm saying? Like this is my barrier between you and me and all you scary people. And, I, and I'm behind this and I turned over to the last and, 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 and on my last page though, my mom had written just as the altar call, speak from your heart. And I said, oh, dang. <laughs> And I looked up for my notes and I just, in five minutes, I just said what I felt. It's a heart statement, it's a heart word felt, it's what I felt. And I didn't know it, I didn't know it, but that, that, that was the best advice my mom, that's the best note my mom could have given me on my sermon notes. No A.W. Tozer quote can make up for a statement of speak from your heart. Because I've found as I preach from my heart, as I speak from my heart, it connects with other people's hearts. And actually, I found that I, that I am naturally gifted at speaking from my heart. And I had no idea because I was backward and I was shy and I, and I had a strong stutter and I didn't like to speak in public. But I, I, at six years old, you know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> because I heard they make a lot of money. <laughs> and I watch a lot of Matlock. You know what I'm saying? This is showing my age. Six years old, I'm watching a lot of math. Well, he's basically a lawyer in my little six-year-old brain is you go into the courtroom, you discover the truth, then you go into the courtroom and you persuade people, you motivate people to see the truth. And I had no idea that's the same thing that preachers do. <laughs> Standing before a jury of a bunch of people here who are going to decide whether or, not, whether or not sin is guilty and whether or not Jesus is worthy. I, I didn't even realize that that's what I was going to do every single Sunday. But I was naturally gifted at it because I naturally picked up on what people needed to hear. I naturally, and I didn't even realize this. The other day, by the way, the other day, um, this, this is telling, telling on myself, but the other day we were, we were, at, we were at Hat Creek, and um, this is a few weeks ago, Madden came to Roe. This is Madden's my oldest daughter. She's nine years old. She came to Roe, and she was crying, and she was sobbing. And there was a little boy about, she said about seven years old, that, that, that they were playing tag, and like the little boy couldn't catch her. And so the little boy was calling her uh, a girl cow or a cow girl, something, because the boy heard she lived on a farm, and so he started making fun of her, calling her a cow girl or a girl cow, something like that. And uh, this was, you know, really hurt little Madden's feelings, and so Madden's coming and crying to mom. And so I went over and said, what's, what's going on, honey? And she told me the story. And then the little boy comes over with his mom, you know, and he's like, uh. and his mom makes him apologize, and he, you know, looks, he feels really bad, and then they go. And I just had this, this memory of when I was seven years old. This is no lie. I, I'm, I, and so I'm, I'm like, honey, this is really weird. I got to tell you this. And so I told Madden about this memory. When I was seven, I was the fastest kid in our church, 
Life of Faith Fellowship, man. After church, we were out playing tag. But my, be my best friend, Ben Ashauer, had this older sister. She was about two years older. She's about nine years old. She was like twice as tall as me because she, and she had longer legs and, and, and I couldn't catch her. And so I said, you have legs like a horse. Meaning like the really big thighs, you know, and the whole skinny little... It, anyway, it was an insult because I was mad because I couldn't catch her. And so I'm seven years old and she gets upset and she goes into her parents in the church. And then somebody calls me and says, hey, you know, so-and-so so is really sad. You, you better go in there. So I remember being about this tall, walking up waist high, you know, looking at everybody's waist, walking up in the middle of this circle of adults, apologizing to this little girl who's crying. And I told Matt and I said, Matt, and I did it because, because I was mad and I wanted, to, I wanted to say something mean to her. But when I saw how powerful my words were, it changed the way I thought about making fun of people and insults. And so I, I told Matt and I said, maybe that little boy's going to figure out that his words matter. But not everybody's words matter because not everybody can pick up on what can really hurt people. Because the, the very same thing that God put inside of me to be a blessing to people, if I don't use it rightly, like this is what's fascinating to me. It's the same thing. The same heart that has opened up doors for me, the same heart that has, that has enabled me to speak into people's lives and motivate people, the same heart used for motivation can also be used for manipulation. Because it's not a big line between motivation and manipulation. And the same guy who knows what to say to encourage somebody also knows what to say to tear somebody down. It's interesting. It's the same heart. It's the same thing. The same thing that makes me unique. The same thing that, that makes me uniquely gifted to do what God's called me to do is the exact same thing that would attack my very destiny that he's called me to do. The same thing. It's just weird. If it was a different thing, that would make sense. Okay, there's that over there. I need to fight that. There's this over here. I need to embrace that. But no, it's the same heart. It's the same personality that God gave to me that, that, that has been a great blessing to me in pastoring because my personality is naturally kind of quiet and shy. And so I'm not running over to everybody's answering everybody's phone calls and dealing with all of their problems because I don't get a lot of energy from that. And so that's great for my family because I get to stay home sometime with my family. I get to prioritize my family because I'm naturally, that's what I would do all the time. I would be a monk if it were up to me. But there are a lot of pastors, they're very social people. And so for them, they're pulled in all of these directions. And, and the families suffer because, because their gifting sort of aligns also with their weakness. Their strength aligns with their weakness. And I've noticed the same thing for me. My strength of, of, of not being an optimist I wouldn't say I'm exactly a pessimist. I'm more of a realist. My strength of being a realist has also been my greatest source of discouragement. Like, I don't need people to discourage me. I'll discourage myself. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if we have any optimists in the room. Do we have any optimists? We got an optimist. Lovely. See? That's what I'm saying. Three. Three optimists. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> optimist, man, I, we, I, I married one because I need one in my life. I love optimists. But let me tell you something. Uh, your, your personality is not necessarily holy. It's not any more holy than mine. 
But in the church, if you're an optimist, it's just naturally you're happy-go-lucky. Everybody wants to be around you. They assume it's holiness. I'm telling on the three of you right now. I'm telling on you. People assume you're more holy. Whereas people like me, like a glass half empty, they assume I'm less holy because, oh, he's not very positive. He's not full of faith. He doesn't believe God's going to come through. You know, and, 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 and one of the difficulties with this scripture, he shall give you the desires of my heart, is I have been told throughout my life that my heart is not good enough. That my personality is not holy enough that my introversion is not, is not right, that I ought to be more extroverted, that my pessimism is not right, that I ought to be more optimistic. But the truth is, my my, my, a lot of my sermons come from my pessimism. It's the pickaxe that God has given me to dig below the surface of the obvious, to ask questions, to deal with stuff, to confront the reality of Scripture and not just wash over with it, believing that everything's going to be okay, but I, 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 it's not okay. And, and it is a problem for me. Like, I have to dig into the Scriptures. So the very thing that God uses for my destiny also tries to attack my destiny. And maybe I'm not alone. I don't know. Is anybody else here that you've noticed this very same heart, very same passion, very same personality? That's your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And yet God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And because we have learned to neglect our heart, we actually don't even really know what the desires of our heart are. Uh, I, I don't know, I have to tell you the story sometime, but um, when I was 12, God spoke to me about not dating, uh, not dating at all, because, because he showed me that recreational dating is not biblical. You know, like dating for the fun of it. You ought to be dating, all teenagers, listen, the time to wake up. Uh, you ought to be dating in order to set yourself up for marriage. This is the purpose of dating, get to know somebody to see whether or not this person's a fit for you to marry. Well, when you're 12 years old, you ain't going to get married anytime soon, okay? So you don't need to be trying to figure out if so-and-so is a fit. Maybe it's just my personality, but this is what God spoke to me and said, Harry, you're going to get yourself in more trouble, have more distraction. Why don't you focus on me and I'll tell you when it's time to date. And so when I was 23, God spoke to me almost an audible voice and said, this time next year, you're going to be dating somebody. And that somebody was not named Roe. It wasn't. I met this girl at Bible college and she's a great girl, Christian girl, loves God, loves people. Uh, she played the guitar. She sang. Um, that's a good, you know, pastor's wife thing to check off. Um, and, 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 you know, all this stuff. And we, 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 we hit it off. We connected and we started dating about, about eight months in. Uh, I'm graduating Bible college. Uh, I'm about to graduate. We, uh, me and this girl had just been on a date. I dropped her off, uh, and I was driving back to the house where me and a few guys shared, um, and uh, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Harry, do you want to marry her? I've been dating her for about eight months. It was going great. We're having a great time, and the Lord said, do you want to marry her? Notice the construction of the sentence, do you want? That's a heart question. And so I gave the, the, the Christian answer, the best Christian answer I could come up with is, I said, Lord, I want to marry whoever you want me to marry. This is what Christians do. Because I've been, because my heart, uh, I, Lord, I want to marry whoever you want me to marry. 
And I don't know, God speaks to your heart, but he also speaks through your heart. So your personality is probably the accent with which you hear the voice of God. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm kind of uh, uh, sarcastic. And <laughs> did you just say really? I, all right, come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. All my sarcastic friends out there. That's why you stick around, because you, 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 you connect. And um, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, Harry, I'm talking about a marriage, not a mission trip. I'm not asking you to move to Africa. I'm not asking you if you want to live in a grass hut with dirt on the phone. I'm asking, do you want to marry the girl? Like, this is something that you're going to have to live with her for the rest of your life. Do you want, like, do you know what you want? And most of us, I, th I think we don't even know what we want. We spend our entire lives trying to meet the expectations of other people. We haven't even yet to examine the God-sized dreams inside of our own heart. What do you want? Do you want this girl? And as I'm driving, I remember the road. It was a back road in the, in the field, in some uh, fields of Ohio. I mean, it was scary. And I'm driving along, and, 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 I, and I had the realization. I said, wait a minute. I don't want to marry the kind of girl that God has to ask me if I want to marry her. You know what I mean? I mean, she's awesome for somebody else, but personally, I want to marry the kind of girl that I have to ask permission of God if I can please marry her because I want. And so, and so that's when I started thinking, what is it I want? What kind of girl do I want? And I came up with this girl in my head. And, and, and I don't mean a physical description. I mean a personality description. I mean a character description. I mean a closeness, a maturity description. Because, because prior to that, I wanted a girl that was kind. Because if you're going to pastor people, you need somebody that's kind. You know what I'm saying? You need to be kind. But I found out some people are kind because they're ignorant. You know what I mean? Like, like they're really sweet. That's because they're naive. And it's not anything against them. They just haven't figured out how the world works. And they're super kind because they haven't come face to face with betrayal. They haven't had anybody stab them in the back or talk nasty about them. And as soon as that happens, then all of a sudden their kindness sort of dissipates. With, with wisdom, their kindness goes away. And that's when I said, no way, I want a woman who's wise and kind in spite of it. And so I began to, to get this thing in my mind, and, and, and that's when I knew the next day I had to break up with this other girl, not because there was something wrong with her, but because I was starting, God was awakening the desires of my heart. I was finally deciding what I wanted, and unfortunately, she wasn't it. And, and so I had to break up with the compromise. Sometimes we live with stuff because it's what's there, because it's available, because it was easy, because it was simple. And so sometimes you've got to break up with the compromise if you really want to marry the dream that God has for you. And I didn't even know if this girl existed, but I figured I'm 24 years old. I'll spend the next little while trying to find her, and, and we'll see how this works. And, 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 and then lo and behold, I found the girl that I was looking for. And when I met her, I said, wait a minute, this is kind of like, the girl I was looking for but what happens is we don't like like in dating we don't have something we're looking for we're just looking for something that's available and so we go through so much heartache and heartbreak because we've never really defined the desires of our heart and I think God is asking you what do you want what do you want
And I'm not saying that every desire of your heart is good, because honestly, there are some desires that God says that's not good. But this is the key. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you are distracted by the beauty of God in your life, then he will give you the desire. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you. Sometimes we, we get so used to a scripture that we don't actually read the words that it's saying. Like we read that and we think he says, he will grant you the desires of your heart. That's not what it says. It says he will give. Because this is the question a lot of people ask me, well, how do I delight myself in the Lord? A lot of, especially new Christians, they'd rather be in a club than praying. They just naturally, they find this over here more fun, more easy than this. And, 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 and what I've found is this verse right here gives us the pattern. Delight yourself. Be distracted by the beauty of the Lord. How do you see the beauty of the Lord? Well, you can see it in nature. You can see it in uh, opportunities and blessings that he's poured out in your life. But you can also see it in scripture. And sometimes I think we take this for granted, which I preached about last week, but I think we take this for granted because this gives us the kind of perspective or view of God that makes him all the more beautiful. For instance, uh, did anybody watch Ferdinand? Anybody got little kids? <laughs> anybody with me? Ferdinand, remember Ferdinand the Bull? We watch Ferdinand the Bull with the kids. It's a cute little movie. Ferdinand the Bull uh, is, uh, is this little bull. His dad is, and, and they are, him and his dad are in this, this training um, to be fighters. And if they, if they win, if they become the biggest, strongest, most well-fed bull, then they get to fight the guy in the arena. Well, Ferdinand's whole revelation that changes his world, turns it upside down, is that he realizes that it's basically a big slaughterhouse. That essentially they're fattening the bulls in order to bring them into the arena and kill them. The bull never wins, I think is what Ferdinand says. The bull never wins. The game is rigged. It's set up. But, but, you have, but in order to really understand the significance of that, you have to realize that all his life he's been brought up with this idea that the apex is to be a fat bull and get to go into the arena. To be a strong bull, get to go into the arena. Get your name, get your picture. I think you got a picture up on a wall and you get to go into the arena. And if that's your perspective, it's so hard to delight yourself in, oh, I don't know, being a bull out there in the field, um, pulling, pulling a cart, working all day, right? It's like, nobody wants to do that. All of his friends, none of his friends want to do that. They say, no, no, the apex of life is to get into the arena and fight for your freedom. But, 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 but Ferdinand has a revelation that changes all of that. He understands that it's all a setup, that you get it, that nobody gets out of the ring alive. It's just another version of a slaughterhouse. And so when he realizes that, he starts delighting, not in being bigger and stronger. He starts delighting in being in a field out on a farm, pulling some, some, some farm equipment. And I feel like this, that's what all of Psalm 37 is about. Psalm 37, by the way, we don't have it up on the screen, but it starts off with, do not worry because of evildoers, nor be envious 
envious, don't desire, that's a heart statement, envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither like the green herb. For they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither like the green herb. I think it was uh, somebody uh, just yesterday put, put on, or a couple days ago, put on Facebook that uh, it's, it's easy to live in sin. And it's true. It's as easy to sin as it is to fall off a ladder. All you have to do is lose your balance and natural forces will take charge. Natural gravity will pull you down. To sin, to live in sin is as easy as falling. In fact, the Bible calls it falling a lot of times for that very reason because every bit of nature is pulling you down. It's natural. We grew up basically in a slaughterhouse and we've been taught that the best thing to do is to fall because that's the easiest thing to do. And technically, falling doesn't hurt you. It's the sudden stop at the bottom. And so it is easy to live in sin until it's not. It's easy to live in sin until you're at the bottom and you're broken and you're bruised and you're bleeding and you're dying. And then all your friends leave you. And then when you lose your money, all your friends leave you. And then when you lose, and all the people, and, and, and nobody gets out of the arena alive. And you figure it out when you're laying there choking on your own blood. It's as easy to live in sin as it is to fall off a cliff or fall off a ladder. It's very easy. But the sudden stop at the bottom, now that's a whole nother story. That's not easy. That's brutal. And it's hard to climb up a ladder. And it's difficult to move forward with God and it's difficult to keep your balance and it's, and, it's, and, it's a, and it's a left and a right and it's difficult and it's hard. But trust me, it's a whole lot easier than landing on the rocks below. And, and if we could be a little more like Ferdinand, we would actually delight ourselves in the Lord because we would figure out that it's better on the farm than it is in the arena because on the farm, it's true that you're working, but you get to live. And they don't stick a sword through your neck, you know. They, they, you, you, you get to live. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus did say that if anyone's going to follow him, they're going to have to deny themselves. But he didn't say that you had to delete yourself. He didn't say that you had to get rid or have a lobotomy in order to follow God. That's why I say we ought to have a sermon series where a guy can be a guy and still be a Christian. It's just a, a sanctified version of a guy. A, a woman can be a woman and still be a Christian, just a sanctified version. He will give you the desires of your your heart because what you really want is joy what you really want is to live and when you understand the game when you understand the setup when you understand that even though we we live in a world where everybody is clamoring to be the biggest bull to be the strongest bull and get into that arena you can say wait a minute hold up nobody gets out of that arena alive nobody gets out of this thing alive i want to live i'd rather be called a dumb bull or a stupid bull i'd rather be something out there on a farm where at least i'm free and at least I have joy, and at least I have peace, and at least I have the love of God in my heart. It's true that sinning is easy until it's not, and then it's too late. And when it's not, I mean, I don't want to be broken down there on the rocks. It's not that I don't want to fall, because falling's easy. I'd rather take the easy route, but it's the end that I'm concerned about. I delight myself in the Lord because I understand the end, because I've seen something. 
I've, I've got a perspective from God that I couldn't get otherwise. And when I delight myself in the Lord, he shall give you the desires of your heart. He shall give. The word give means to build or to birth something or to put something in. See, we've always heard this, that delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what you want. But that's not what he's saying. He said, I will give you the desires of your heart. So if, so if Roe say... <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Let's, let's, let's say Ro has her wallet. Let's just say that's her wallet. And she gives me the wallet of her skirt. Um, we'll just call it just, just to be, you know, grammatically correct. If you give God the wallet of your, of, of your jeans, God, so if you delight yourself in the Lord, the Lord will give you the, the, the desires of your heart or give you the money in your wallet. You see, it's, 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 a, it's a handoff. So you delight yourself in God. You give God your desire. You give him your heart. And then he takes your heart and he gives you desires. He creates desires inside of you. Do you see the difference? It's not that he grants your wish. It's that he inserts the desires of your heart. He puts it in. He sets it up. He builds it. He births it. And so it's not, so once, once again, I understand it's a paradigm shift, especially for those of you that grew up in church. You're like, I thought, I thought that he would give me the desires of my heart means he would give me. No, no, no. Listen to the words. He will give to you desires. He will give to you desires in your heart coming from your heart. And this is how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through the desires that he put inside of us. And the part of us that is so dangerous, the part of us that would kill us, the, the thing that would destroy us is the desires that we have yet to give to him. Those are the ones that are dangerous. Those are the ones that, that corrupt. And that's why in the next verse, in verse 5, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also to him, and he will bring it to pass. Commit your way. Literally, commit means to roll. <laughs> roll your way. Your way is your everyday life. Roll the weight of your life onto him. Take this massive thing of your desires and your dreams and the way you thought it would be and the way you hoped it would be and the person you thought you would marry and the time that you thought you would be married. and Just take it and roll it onto him. Let him take the weight of it. To, to, for him to put desires in your heart and then for him to take the weight of the completion of those desires, the weight of the fulfillment of those desires. That you are not obligated to make your dreams happen. You are not obligated to pursue and to, and to build your goals. This is our primary purpose, is to commit our way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. Boy, that's key. Trusting in Him. Hmm. I think it's verse 25. I don't have it on the screen, but... This entire chapter, I would encourage you to go home and, and read it. 
Verse 23, the steps of a good man, that's the way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, this is interesting, God, he delights in his way. It, notice the reciprocal nature of this delight. That when we delight in the Lord, that when we are distracted by his beauty, then he directs our way, the steps and the stops <laughs> of a good man are ordered. He's, he's directing, but then he delights in our way. When God created the world in Genesis, at the end of every day, he looked at everything and he said it was good. And that word good basically means inexpressibly joyful. Like he looked at what he had made and he was so stoked, so thrilled that he, the only word he could figure out to say was, there are, there are no words. Basically, there are no words to explain how happy I am with what I've made. And if that's how God lives, isn't this what he's inviting you into? I mean, isn't this what he wants for you? I understand that we, that we come out of a tradition a few hundred years ago that basically they said um, to figure out if it's God's will, ask the question, does it bring you pleasure? If it brings you pleasure, it's not God's will. And so we've come from that weird, twisted version. But according to that, then even God doesn't do God's will. Because after God had done what God wanted to do, he said, man, that is good. That is awesome. And that just fires me up. That brings me so much pleasure. I am so, like, I was, I, I know I'm a little scattered today. I think it's the gym. I'm just a little punchy. It's like, it's like ready to play dodgeball or something. But I was sitting in a meeting with a whole bunch of pastors last year, and there was this old pastor sitting in, in, in the middle, and he was talking. He pastored six different churches, and he said only two of them were successful. And he said the last one was successful, and he said he figured something out. He figured out that he, what he wished he would have known at the beginning was that he, he didn't know himself. And you can't succeed in whatever God's called you to be. Maybe God's called you to be an electrician or a plumber or a, or a, a stay-at-home mom or homeschool. Whatever God's called you to be, you'll never succeed if you don't know the desires of your own heart, if you don't know what God's put inside of you. And this pastor said, all I knew was I, I, I needed to preach. I needed to bring people to Jesus. He knew the should list, but he didn't know the why list because he didn't know himself. And so he said, he's talking to us pastors, he said, you need to figure out, you need to ask yourself, what makes you laugh? What makes you cry? And what turns you on? So that's my altar call to you. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? And what turns you on? I kind of chuckled, I was in the room and he was like, what's going on, Harry? And I said, well, it's just, it's all the same woman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? So my, well, my wife, she makes me laugh. She makes me cry sometimes. And she turns me on. And all the pastors kind of chuckled. And he said, well, no, 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 that's, that's interesting that your thought goes right there. He said, that says something about you. And so what are your first thought says something about you. And, it's, and I began thinking about it. I said, yeah, she's something that I sought out. 
that I, that I had in my head before I even met her in person. It has, what I love about her has more to do with me, actually, and what I'm looking for than it even does to do with who God has made her to be. And so, and so what, what makes you laugh? That's a clue to what God's calling you to do. What brings you joy? What just fires you up and says, man, I could do this all day, every day, and, and just be fulfilled by this? What makes you cry? That's probably a clue to your destiny as well. What, what really hurts? What really offends you? What really makes you mad? What really pushes your buttons? And then what turns you on? What, what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? It's, it's looking in at, at, our, at our own hearts because God wants to speak to us about our own hearts so that he can direct our way. And then he takes delight and he is laughing with us and he's sometimes crying with us and he is motivated by us. He delights in us. Verse 24 says, though he fall, he will not utterly be cast down because the Lord upholds him with his hand. He, he, because, because we've figured out where God wants me to be, what he wants me to be doing. It's not that we hit it every time. It's not that we're perfect. But I, I challenge you this week, if you really want to start hearing from God, you need to check your own heart. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What turns you on? Who has God called you to be? Just, just in closing, this past week, Monday night, Dallas put together an awesome night of worship and um, very proud of him. And, and uh, he basically pulled it together by himself uh, with his friend, Sean Foyt, um, up at Dobie, uh, at the school that he works at. And um, I was there and several of you were there worshiping. And toward the end, I was, we were worshiping and I was just thinking, man, I really hope somebody calls up Dallas and just honors him because he's the one who pulled this whole thing together. And there were several churches involved. Bethel Austin was there. There was a couple other churches. It was mostly Bethel Austin and City Chapel, I think. It looked like a whole bunch of white 20-somethings from Bethel. And then uh, all of us, some gray hairs, some City Chapel, Motley Crew, the scrappy ones, the scrappy ones. We're from South Austin. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. It was awesome. It's the, it's the family of God, you know. And, um, but I, I thought, man, I really hope somebody calls up Dallas and just, just honors him, thanks him. Um, and, and, and immediately when I thought of Dallas, I, I had this vision that just, and this is a way that God speaks to us is through a vision in, in, in your mind. And it's a vision that God had given me years ago when I was praying about another, se- uh, another pastor, actually, I was praying about a senior pastor and God gave me this vision. And then that night during worship, I just stopped worshiping because, because God was giving me this vision, this picture in my mind, about 15 seconds. And it was a moving panorama of this picture. And, and I talked to Ro about it. I've been praying about it. And I, and, and I really feel like it applies, yes, to Dallas, but also to, to me specifically and the people that God's called to me and around me. And, and under me, lifting me up. And, and, and it is this vision because I think ultimately when God speaks to you, he wants to speak to your heart about your heart. He wants to give you revelation on who you are. And so this will help explain City Chapel right now uh, for you to understand who he's made me to be.
Basically, I had this vision of a bridge. It was a huge bridge. It was, there was a cliff, a grassy cliff over here. I tried to piece, make, it to make it out of like a whole bunch of different pictures online because I'm a graphic designer. I can cut stuff up in Photoshop. I couldn't find anything remotely close to this bridge, so it, it, it bugs me. But I'll just try to describe it verbally. There was this, this grassy cliff, and then there was this massive stone bridge coming out from the cliff. It was about 30 feet um, thick. It had no, no wires or anything. It was just so thick that it was... It was cemented sort of to that other island or cliff or whatever it was. But the, the weird thing about it, it was, it was all grassy. The, 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 the front of the bridge was all grassy, like just like the grass on the island the, or whatever, the cliff. There, it was covered with grass on the, on the bridge and off the, to the sides. It's just weird. You don't see grass growing on bridges usually. And so this bridge, a stone bridge, had all this grass growing. It was so seamless. It looked like it had all been mowed at the same time. Like it was just a seamless carpet of grass. And, 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 as, and as you walked along, I mean, this is a massive bridge, maybe 100 feet, maybe 200 feet wide. I don't know. My perspective kept going out. It was this wide bridge, all this grass. And then it sort of got spotty, the grass, and it was more stone. You could see the stone. And, and then it came to a, a gate, and there was this massive stone gate with this huge door, and the door was open. People were kind of meandering along the grass, hanging out, chilling out. Some were meeting and talking. And, and, then, and then some were sort of going through the gate. And when you went through the gate, the bridge got even wider somehow, I don't know, multiple hundreds of feet wide. And there was a little city square there, like an old English country square with a little fountain in the middle and little shops all around. Like it's a whole city. And that, that, that's why it's weird. If you Google city bridge or bridge on a city, like there's nothing. And I, it's just so, it's this massive living space. And then it keeps going. It goes over to this other cliff. And, and toward the back side of the bridge, there are all these homes being built and, and uh, there are entire neighborhoods being, being built back there, all on the bridge. And that was 15 seconds and God just showed me that and then boom, done. And I thought, well, God, what in the world? What are you talking about? And so this is what you do. So then you go and pray, God, what are you trying to tell me? And what I felt like God was saying is that, is that he has made me to be a bridge, just like he's made Dallas to be a bridge bridging multiple churches, bridging multiple cultures, bridging multiple different kinds of people. And I think to some extent, all pastors are sort of, this is the ministry of the church, is to bridge between the world and the kingdom of God, between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And I, and, and I know different pastors have different callings, and some pastors are more gatherers, like they literally have arenas over here in the kingdom of light, and they're doing awesome. But I feel like us, I feel like we're called to connect to the kingdom of darkness in such a way that the same grass that's there is also on that side of our bridge. That walking, meandering into City Chapel is very similar of just walking from one field to another. A lot of times churches, it's like walking into a spaceship or an alien invasion. You walk into church and it's like all of their jokes don't make sense. All of their songs don't make sense. And I don't get any of this. But our, our hope is that we have made a, a transition for people, by the way, to be on the bridge without going through the gate. The gate is Jesus. It's still as narrow as it's ever been. It's never going to change. But we believe people can hang out on the bridge before they go to the gate. And they can actually hang out for a year or two, sitting in the back row, just looking at the gate, hanging out on the bridge, meeting people who have chosen to live on the bridge and go out beyond the gate to bring people through the gate. 
And I know there's some people that are like, they're like, I don't go to City Chapel because so-and-so is drinking on, on, on their Facebook on Saturday night, and, and I don't want to go to that kind of church. Well, if you don't want to go to a church with sinners in it, this is not the right church for you. You need to watch your purse around here. You need to like, I'm <laughs> leave it in the car, lock it up. This is South Austin, baby. <laughs> No, seriously, like, because, because, because we, we, we allow people on the bridge who haven't gone through the gate. We love people on the bridge who haven't gone through the gate. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong on the bridge. There's a place for you on the bridge, even if you're not sure about the gate. That's fine. Now, we're always going to beckon you and draw you and say, hey, it's much better in the gate. There's shelter in the gate. There's joy in the gate. There's peace in the gate. The answer to all your problems is not here on this side of the bridge. It's through the gate. So we're always going to point through that gate. But man, some people, it's going to take them a while. And, they, and when they come through the gate, it's awesome. 16 people came through the gate last, last Sunday afternoon in the Blanco River or just simply reaffirmed their status of being in the gate. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a powerful moment. It's a wonderful thing. But here's the thing, some people come through the gate and they, they build a home on the bridge because they want to go back through the gate and bring more people across the bridge. But some people, some people don't build a home, they just keep walking over the bridge and they go on to another church or they go on to another city, Virginia, another state. <laughs> they move on to another place. And, 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 and I'm great with that. I feel wonderful to be the, the, the transitional point because this is what I'm called to be. I'm called to be a bridge. At the end of the day, a bridge is to get you from one place to another. And so I love the people who have chosen to live on the bridge with us and be on mission with us. But I'm not upset at the people who go on to other churches. And, 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 and like I even reached out to to one lady, she'd been with us for a while, and then she just disappeared. And then I said, hey, uh, how's it going? What's going on? And she said, well, you know, I'm going to this other church now. And she was kind of ashamed of it. I said, you know, that, that's, that's great. When you came to us, you weren't going to any church. And now you're going to a church faithfully connecting with Jesus. This is wonderful. This is what we want for you. That's what a bridge wants, is to get you from where you were to where you need to be. So, so I just told her, I said, look, if you're ever in another healthy church, you can tell the pastor and he's not going to be mad at you. Now, there's some churches, they will be mad at you. And so you need, you need, to, you need to understand where you're at. But, there, but, but in a healthy church, a church that realizes it's a bridge and not a fortress, you know, where nobody comes in and nobody goes out. But, but a bridge is like, man, some people are going to go out and that's good. As long as they're going out with Jesus, I'm happy about that. Let them, let them, let them go. Like this is a bridge. This is, we're helping people get to where God's called them to be. And that's what God spoke to me about you. I wonder what God would speak to you about you. This is what God spoke to me about me. I wonder what God would speak to you about you. I wonder what kind of vision he would give you about you and what your life is like and how you fit in your role and your job. Father, I just asked for that revelation. Lord, we... We ask for that revelation right now that you would insert desires into our hearts. We commit our way to you, Lord. We roll over the weight of our lives onto you. We want to hear your direction. We want to hear your voice, Lord. We want to 
We want you to take delight in our way. We see the beauty of Jesus. And we're thankful that you've walked into our life. We choose right now, we just make a decision, a commitment this week to delight ourselves in you. Every time we're tempted to be drawn away by the fall, every time we look down and think it'd be so much easier if I just let go. Instead, Lord, we choose to focus on what's ahead of us, what's above us, and who is holding our hand, who is keeping us. We thank you that for your faithfulness. We choose to feed on that. <laughs> Have a steady diet of the faithfulness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.